Welcome to my dad's podcast, My Blackest Challenge National, Season 3. You can find us on anywhere you like to listen to good podcasts. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Hope you enjoy the show. Bye. Hello everyone, welcome to My Black is Transnational. Today is a special talk series that I've been hyping up for months. Very excited to have our guest here and we'll be talking about growing up immigrant. Um, and that's something that I think is a very unique in us and, and requires its own time for us to uh, commiserate and, and laugh together and, and talk about what it is to just be growing up with immigrant families who are who um, kind of instilled this transnational identity that we do have and we do um, demonstrate in our lives. So without any further ado, I want to introduce our guest. All right. So I will just you, you start with Miss Marilyn Adibu. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Let people know who you are, where you're from, what you rep. Oh, absolutely. So hello, everyone. Good evening. My name is Marilyn. The full name is Marilyn Ya Asiadua Adibu. Um, so, um, of course, I am repping Ghana all day, yes. every day to the fullest. Yes. And of course, I will be going into more in full detail about that in a little bit. So, All right. And then we have Miss Alejandra. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Sure. So I'm Alejandra. Um, I'm from Honduras. So I'm representing the Hispanic perspective today. Um, I was able to have um, Dr. Ebay Lambert as my mentor while I was an undergrad. And now I'm actually working at a tech company called Infotech in their um, talent management department and getting my master's in management. Yes, yes, I'm so proud. All right, and then (laughs) we have uh, none other than uh, Mr. Timmy Tayo. Go ahead, bro. How's everybody doing? Um, My name is Timmy Tayo, Ade Oshifogu. Um, I am repping the one and only Nigeria. Um, shout out to the home that one time. One time. Um, currently an electrical engineer working out of Philadelphia. Um, you know, trying my best to uh, push forward the um, the current situation that's happening in Nigeria. Yeah. Yeah, and SARS. We'll definitely talk about that a little bit as well um, in, in, in context of what in the conversation we're having. And last mm-hmm. but not least, we have Dr. Osuji back in the building. What's up? Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Dr. Chinyare Osuji, and I'm an assistant professor of sociology at Rutgers University, Camden, in New Jersey. And so, like, I'm, of course, repping Nigeria, the Igbo community. And um, I was raised in Chicago, but I've lived all over the place. And I actually just realized I should have, like, been, like, advertising my book. Go I wrote ahead. a book. No. Go so ahead. I, I, I wrote a book called Boundaries of Love, Interracial Marriage, and the Meaning of Race. And it looks, so I've done research in Brazil, trying to understand how race works in Brazil and how it compares and contrasts with the United States. So I'm a race scholar, and I'm currently working on a project on African nurses and Africans who are nursing students in the United States to understand, like, how the health profession um, either guides or helps them to understand how race works in this country. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I definitely need that book. I'm definitely going to get that from like Amazon or wherever I can get it from for Great sure. Book. Put it in my library for sure. <laughs> cited, I feel cited like a, my... a colleague or an advisor or a mentor of mine 
told me that she thought that I read like a novel. I was like, what? Okay. Maybe it's like sociological, like reading like a novel and not like novel reading like a novel. But poet surprise in our, in the in the horizon, you know. But yes, I'm definitely going to do that and, and see if I can cite it in some of my work. You know, you always gotta support your colleagues when you can. All right. So uh, I'm just going to start off when we talk about growing up immigrant, right? And the first question I'll just ask, and we could just kind of go around, and I, like I said, I'm participating in this as well, is if you can just give me one word of what it was like growing up with immigrant families, like what would that word be? Forced. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's good. That's good. Forced. Okay. Forced. All right. Anyone else? Uh, I would say challenging in both the positive and negative connotation, depending okay. on the on the day and the time and what was going on. <laughs> okay, so I got I got forced and we got challenging. All right, anyone else? Hard, hard, hard. <laughs> yes, nice. yes. Um, I would have to say patience. Mm. Okay, patience. Mm. Patience. I love that. I love that. For me, it's pressure. My God, like for me, I definitely have to say pressure, pressure. And maybe that might kind of go along with force, but pressure for sure. It was something that just stands out to me as far as growing. So like, okay, so now what was, you know, in addition to just keeping those words in mind, like we all grew up in different areas. Most like most of us, some of us grew up in Chicago and everything. Um, But like, what was it like then in addition to just being hard? um, You mentioned hard, Dr. Osuji. So like what, what made it hard? So I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. And so we're now very like multicultural, yay, diversity, yay. But for a long time in the 80s, it was not multicultural, yay. It was like speak English everywhere, even big cities. It was like white people who are blonde and blue eyed are beautiful. And if you're not that, then you're not. Um, It was, you know, the real black people are the ones who are, you know, the formerly enslaved people who have origins in the South. And if you don't have that history, it's like, what's wrong with you, you know? Mm. And then you have these people like who are African. It's like, oh, <laughs> you know yeah. Yeah. it's like, yeah. What is this thing called real black, right? Yeah. Like when you've got people who come from the motherland. But um, so it was challenging in terms of like navigating US society for me growing up. Mm-hmm. And then like also coming home and being like, okay, we. We live in a, a building surrounded by African-Americans and like some Latinos and like very, very few whites. But like Nigeria began at our front door. Like where our apartment, you open the door, you were in Nigeria. And like, it was, it's a culture shock, you mm-hmm. know, like every day. Mm-hmm. So I think like navigating that was very challenging as um, you may have said. Okay. All right. And you said force, Tayo, you said force. I want to hear about this. Um. <laughs> Well, I think we've all experienced situations, whether it be uh, career choice or choosing your major or washing the dishes or I mean, it could be anything. Um, but I think I meant forced in the sense, and there's, and there's positive. So I'll start with the positive. Forced to have a standard that is not less than what we have to do mm-hmm. in order to establish ourselves in a society where it's bet against us. Mm-hmm. So forced in the sense of, you know, everybody says you have to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. Well, it makes sense, you know, to be a doctor or engineer, essentially, or in the in that realm. So you're kind of forced to do things or to make decisions that would impact your life for the future generation. But 
understanding that that force mentality is coming from someone who just got to this country and they were raised in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So they have a mentality of, I have to by force make it here. I have to by force do what is needed to survive. And mm-hmm. if I do not, that's it. It's a do or die mentality. So it's by force, I will be successful. So the negative side of that growing up is that, you know, there's no level of sympathy for someone choosing an opposite path or if you can call it the creative path, if you will, mm-hmm. or for someone making a bad choice. Or even as simple as getting a bad grade or, oh, my God, I forgot to wash the dishes today. Please forgive me. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no level of um, uh, uh, grace, if you will, and at least me, for me growing up. So I think that that force mentality on the negative is like you are making someone or you're raising someone to be what you think is the only way to achieve success. And I think mm, that can mm. have very negative consequences on a child when they grow up as an adult, as well as in their adolescent years. Mm. Yeah. And that ties into me as well. I have to kind of chime in on that just because that pressure, like I said, and I think it kind of correlates because it's, it's that like you get that pressure from the expectations that are set for you right as you said you have to be you can either be a doctor you have to be an engineer you have to be a lawyer or anything else is a failure you know like everything else that is it like you have to be able to do this you know get good grades and it also matters especially when it comes to like where you are as far as you know your sibling um are you the oldest are you the youngest right so for me being the oldest there's this immense amount of pressure to set the bar for whatever it is that you want to be or whatever it is that you are, you have to be the extension of your parents and you have to be the model citizen. And then at the end of the day, like going back to the transnational aspect, if you're the oldest, that means you're the first one to get the inheritance, right? So you have to be the one that has to set that because when anything happens, you're the one that takes control and becomes quote, quote, the head of the family, right? So there's that pressure of you can't mess up because if you mess up, then it's like, see your brothers and sisters, like, why, why would you do something like that? Why would you go and do art? Is that what you want your brother and sister to do? Like, are you crazy? Like, so like, why would you do something like that? I, have to expect, I expect more from you. You're the oldest. Like, it's always that type of conversation, right? And that puts a lot of pressure. And, you know, so when you, when you, how we carry ourselves is dictated on that. Because for me, I always would hear the voices of my parents. And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, now that I'm a parent, but I'm just like, I hear the voices of my parents when I try to make a choice as to how they would respond. And I'm like, oh, I have to do, like, I don't want to do this, but I have to do this. Right. So I would say pressure plays a role. Um, Alejandro, you mentioned challenge and, and I want to hear what that's about. Yeah. I mean, I completely resonate with everything you, you all are saying. Um, the pressure of, you know, even if it's that quiz grade of second grade and having to get that high score, you know, even if it's, a decimal of what it means in your life now and um, the challenge and it being hard. But I think for me, the word challenge came to mind in both a good way and a bad way um, of just, you know, my parents, well, I, while I was born in the US, I lived in Honduras for six years and then we came back. So I had that shift and just like, well, we moved here because we want to give you a better education. So it's like, well, you got to make the most of it and just to cut like the challenging of like making sure that you're taking advantage of that opportunity because they did so much and it's just the the pressure of that like mm-hmm. don't mess up <laughs> um and then just you know the challenge of you know simple things of having to get out of your comfort zone when you really didn't want to but you know you had to do it because 
my parents didn't speak English that well. So having to translate things or be in situations that a normal, you know, 10 year old would not have been in, I think is challenging. Good, because it helped me grow. But also at the time I was like, what am I doing? Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. And Marilyn, what, what's good, sis? Like what <laughs> you, you said patience. So there's, there's something uh, virtuous that you about to drop on us. I want to hear this. <laughs> um, yes, I can definitely um, agree with that, what everyone stated, because it's very hard, difficult, the pressure of being um, able to actually try to speak your mind. And when you speak your mind, it has to be in a certain way. So um, for me, uh, my parents growing up, of course, my dad had more of a militant background. So in his sense, it's always the respect and the patience that you have to give him. He was the oldest in his family. Um, my mother was the youngest in her family. And then of course, I'm the youngest within out of six total. So um, the hierarchy is something that they took to the ultimate degree. I could not say anything that I wanted to say. It's always yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Um, yes, sir. Yes, dad. No, dad. Um, even up until today, mm-hmm. up until today, I still uh, say, uh, instead of saying my sister's name, which is Victoria, I have to say Sister Vic- uh, Sister Vicky mm-hmm. or Sister Victoria, because that's the respect and the hierarchy. But you would never catch them saying that to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it's just the, the patience where it comes in, where if they tell you to do something, you do it. We don't get a choice. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see now that when you ask kids oh do you want to do this we didn't get a choice Mm -hmm. it's do this right now or um something's gonna happen and you you might not be happy about that um so it taught me a lot of patience because it taught me i couldn't say anything that i wanted to say it also taught me the respect um not to say that no one else has it but it, it just reminds me to to always give that no matter what. So, um, yeah, that's carried on with me up until today. Awesome. Well, you know, Go ahead. listening to us, uh, listening to you talk about these things, it's like giving me, it's reminding me of the PTSD of being the Ada, <laughs> yes. kind of like that, because I am the eldest daughter, right? And so I don't have that privilege of knowing that when I go back home, I can inherit because I'm a girl, right? So like, exactly. it's more like, you can't, by, by law, I can inherit, but then it's like a new law. Right. But like, it's like, yeah, you're the daughter, so you don't matter as much. The first son, you know? Yeah, that's, that's our guy. Before, <laughs> that's our right? guy. So I was like, yeah, step aside. But um, I know that like, I, I experienced a lot of pressure, like within the family, as far as the responsibilities of like being an older sister to four younger brothers and sisters. And I remember that like when I was like 10 or 11, I used to get migraines mm. and I actually had to have an MRI and they realized that like there was nothing really wrong with my brain. I was just like really, really stressed out. And so like my parents had to be a little bit more cautious with me after they realized that I was having like, you know, physical symptoms mm. because of all the stress of like, you know, of being the eldest daughter mm. and like, you know, the push pull of American society versus Nigerian customs. Specifically, like my parents are not like Lagos, you know, like big city people. No, 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 they're village people, you know. So, like, my parents are born in the 1950s. So, for them, it's like they're 1950s village people. Like, girls and boys have very strict rules, and they're not like this cosmopolitan, like lecky Nigerians, you know. Oh, no. 
how I grew up. <laughs> so like when did we so when did we all realize that we were I'm just gonna say in words in quotations different. Like our experiences were different than our American or our peers um, that we would look outside and go to school with and realize that our upbringing is a little different. When did we realize this? Anybody can jump in. I would have to say um, I I got very lucky during my early years because uh, we lived uh, in the uptown area of Chicago. Mm -hmm. So that was African central. So uh, uptown, Uptown. everybody know about uptown. (laughs) So yes, yes, I mean, the the community was there. I mean, if you wanted to go out and you wanted to get a box of plantain, Mm -hmm. you were able to find the Makola store very quickly and you were able to get whatever you needed, the pepper, the, the ginger, everything. It was not a problem. So for me during those years, and we were very uh, in an upbringing of both an African as well as a heavy uh, Latino, Latina community. So for us, it was it was easy. Um, for us, we knew culture. Um, I think it shifted when I knew I was somewhat a little bit different was when I was around the fourth grade fifth grade and you have kids around the block Mm -hmm. um in which now they're asking more questions well what is this well i don't understand when you fry this inside of the the pot um are these fried bananas like what what do you mean by fried (laughs) bananas i i I don't know what that i I, or you know i didn't have a problem with saying oh we're about to eat fufu we eat with our hands and so now all of a sudden we're asking you to come and eat of course you (laughs) Now they're scared to eat. They don't want to touch the food. They're like, oh, no, I don't know what that. And to me, of course, I took that offensively, Mm -hmm. you know, or some people, when you even tell them to come in and say hello, it's ingrained that you say hello, you know, Mr. and Mrs. For them, they'll just walk in the house. Mm. No, let's Mm -mm. start over. Mm -mm. So at this point, I think I would have to say around the fourth grade, that's when things started to change. When we started moving in the south suburbs and I and all of the name calling, all of that. And I'm like, oh my, they didn't respect the dark skin and you know why that was happening. So it was definitely difficult, definitely difficult around that time um, to really take all of that in. So that's when I knew I was considered different. Mm, yeah, you know, and the funny thing is I have to just kind of mention since the majority of us with the exception of Alejandra, uh, the majority of us have some type of Chicago roots. And I feel like even just what you said, Marilyn, as far as, and for those who are listening, is like, I feel like every African or black immigrant, we all started up in the north side. And then we found our way into the suburb. Like, that was Plymouth Rock for us, right? So, so <laughs> uptown, uptown Chicago, within that Lawrence from like somewhere from like over, if we're, if we're using Chicago, exactly, Clarendon, Montrose. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like if you're using for Chicagoans, if you know Redline, right, somewhere between like Jarvis to like maybe you go to Wilson, like within that yeah. area, that's that radius. That's we're all there somewhere in some type of spots and everybody knew Old World Market. Like that was that was it. Like so it's crazy. But then we find ourselves in the suburbs and then we find ourselves like that's when we moved on up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so. Well, for yourself, my family still in Chicago. They still so. in Chicago? My parents are yeah. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, no, they oh, they never I, left. We I didn't. Well, no respect to uptown. I didn't start out. We didn't start out in uptown at all. I didn't even I didn't even know about uptown until I got to college. That's terrible, but it's true. We all um, So when I moved to the states, so I was born in London, and then a year later we moved to Chicago in '92, and so 
we moved to 71st and Mozart. We were there for about three years. And then we moved to the South Suburbs. So we so we, we start on the South Side and just oh, going more and more South. Um, but to Maryland's point about the suburbs at that point in time, the South Side did not have, if if we had Africans, I didn't know who they were. Mm. They, they were either whitewashed or, that's rude. No, it's not. They were either um, whitewashed or we just didn't, I, I, <clears throat> I wasn't able to connect with them because I would go to school eating a moosey stew and smoke turkey and F1 mm-hmm. everything. And I'd be like, just chomping by myself or with other people but who also had that similar upbringing, but maybe not have been as Nigerian. So I began to really, really think like, right, how can I be more black? Because I'm not accepted by how I look with my skin. Mm. I'm not accepted by my name. My name was the most difficult thing to experience as a kid. Mm. Everyday mm. homeroom. Um, Tim, um, you know, um, Aid, Osh, Aid, Oshifugu. I'm like, me. You know what I'm saying? So, like, my name got made fun of all the time. Dark skin. You know, I was a kid with a lot of acne, everything. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of, I knew I was different when I got to middle school. So, I got from kindergarten through eighth grade. From the minute I got to kindergarten, Insults happen. African booty scratcher. You ride on elephants. You live in tents. You mm. have no water. Your mom is always naked and showing her boobs on the scrubbage. Whatever the insults were, mm. you know, they came every single day. So I developed an attitude of, you know, all right, cool. I have to now crap on you guys. Or to be real, I have to now learn how to shit on y'all because y'all talking all this mess about my upbringing. Cool. I'm going to beat you in grades. I'm going to beat you in sports. I'm going to mm-hmm. beat you in fashion. I'm going to beat you in looks. I'm going to beat you in everything. And, you know, so then it became a, a, a level of because you see me so differently, I'll be different and better. And that's kind of how it evolved. You like that Jordan meme. Now I, put, I took it personally, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Dr. Chi, what about you? Um. So... My first several years, probably like around fourth grade is when I started to feel different because my first several years, like my parents had put me in a Catholic school. And so then like fourth grade, I transferred to a public school and I was like, fuck, they're saying shut up. Right. I was like shocked. I was like, excuse me, excuse me. They, they were cursing over there. And it's like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, they said shut up. And everybody's like, oh, there's this girl, something's wrong with her. Right. So the first day of school, like I was already like, oh, this girl's different. And like there was a language that was being used that we did not use in my household. Mm-hmm. Right? And there were like ways of like acting that were not used in my household and certainly were not in present in Catholic school, you know. Um, but like also like my parents, we were we were not wealthy at all. I wouldn't say we were poor, more like like lower working class, maybe. Um, because there were definitely like a lot of people who are poorer than us, but like um, so I didn't have the like ability to like get the newest shoes and like the coolest clothes. Like I was wearing pro wings. Mm-hmm. Remember pro wings mm-hmm. from the eighties? Mm-hmm. That will get you laughed mm-hmm. at, you know. Mm-hmm. So like needs you know gym shoes for school. Mommy's like she doesn't know any better. She's African. She's like yeah, I migrated here. Here, here's some shoes. It's like oh mommy no, I can't wear these to school. <laughs> <laughs> but you gotta wear them because it's all they can afford, you know. Yeah. Oh man, I think for me it was fourth grade, but um, you know, it was it's very similar to Maryland what you said, where you just started to like when you started to learn how to like really make friends 
or try to make friends and, you know, people are starting to develop relationships and start asking more questions about your personal lives. And for me, it was just about like, my mom cooked a lot, right? So like, I'm coming out the crib and I'm smelling like, yes. you know, that the oil. Ingredients. I'm smelling like, oh I'm gosh. smelling like, smell it. you know it, man, you know, that Zomi. That's, that's what, that's what, that's what Africans that, that palm oil, that Zomi, oof. Yeah, so I'm smelling like oil. I'm smelling like fish. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm bringing it. You know, I'm coming in with my Thomas the Train lunchbox, you know, and I'm ready to eat. And it's nothing but plantain, rice, and stew and beans, you know. And then there's a little bit of, you know, maybe she'll put, like, some drinks in there or something. And they're like, what is this? Right? And then it was just even, the, like, the mannerisms, like, how we carried ourselves, right? Like, when I see my mom or I see an, an, an elder... Out in the street somewhere, I had to greet them, right? Like afternoon side, good afternoon side, uncle or something. Everybody was uncle and auntie, you know me, you know, you know how that goes. So, and we'll talk about that a little bit too. But like, so like, and they'd be looking at me like, like people are calling their their like their aunties out their first name, and you're like, what? Right? And, and it wasn't until like the sixth grade that my mom actually had me go to a Catholic school, and that's when I really it went from beyond just knowing that I was different to actually knowing I was black. That's when I realized, because I went to a Catholic school and it's primarily all white, and I was like, oh, like I'm the only one here. And it really is something significant about my skin color that allows me this, you know, even though I was still subjected to the same type of, you know, uh, I would say teasing, you know, but it also added more to the fact that I was black. So adding my black experiences and being the token, you know, the token there, but also being African and not truly relating to the to the African-American experience yet, I was still acculturating because I came to America at a young age. So it's it, it just all those things started to factor in. And then like, just, uh, then it, it reached a point where my parents had to tell me, my parents had to tell me like, you're not, you're not like those regular Americans that like, you can't do that. Right. And then like Dr. Chi said, like, when you come in this house, you're a Nigerian and yeah, act like you're Nigerian. Don't go and do something else like those Akata people. Like, don't go and try to be those American people. You better better behave yourself or I will send you back. Like that's exactly that you that know, was we talked we, right we talked about this, Dr. Chi. We talked about this. Ooh, you're gonna send me back. <laughs> I don't can't go send me back. Oh, you can't send me back. Oh, I'm not going. Like at, so it used to be like that type of mentality, but that's when I realized I was different. Was just having the way I had to behave myself. I had to code switch, you know, in, in different in different spaces. So that's when I found very interesting. But Alejandro, I'm very curious to know when you found out that your experiences were different because you grew up in Honduras and came back. So what was that like? I mean, it's all very similar. And um, I, when we first moved to the U.S., we moved to uh, like 45 minutes off Miami, which is pretty much still Miami. So mm. it's still very Hispanic. So the language was still there. You could still find a lot of the produce and all of that and the plantains. Oh my gosh. And everything, you know, it was all the same. Um, but then my dad got a job in a small town here in Florida, um, predominantly white, uh, not a lot of Hispanics. There was like one Hispanic restaurant um, in the whole county. <laughs> wow. So not very diverse. And so that's when I started to realize like, wait, something's different here. People, you know, my Miami teachers could pronounce my name, you know, correctly, Alejandra and not Alejandro and at the no. a, O at the end and then oh. I'm a boy or just like <laughs> Alexandra. I'm like, oh. where did you get the X? Oh. Uh, <laughs> so it was just, you know, that's when I started to realize like, wait a second, what's what's going on here? Like, what is this? Um, 
because I grew up when I was in Honduras, you know, I grew up in, it was a, I learned English when I was there too. So the language wasn't a shock for me. It was more like people's reflections upon my presence in the room, it seemed like, mm -hmm. um, just my name or the way I looked. And then I felt the same way with Timoteo. Like you had this like, people saying, oh, when you go back home, like, what's it like? Like, do you have McDonald's? Yes, we have McDonald's. <laughs> like, you know, I, it's just like random things that you, you're like, did you really? Um, and then having to educate, I felt like that was a constant throughout my life, having to educate and show people and like, try to take that, whatever image they had and like, show them the actual things that are happening or what the world is actually like because it was such a small town people didn't really travel some people hadn't even left the, like florida so it was just very very stark contrast from miami to there and then just you know having to kind of live up to beyond the expectation they had which you never know where that line ends so it was like a constant mm -hmm. pressure and trying to outdo what you did and so yeah, very similar in my household. It was, you know, my mom was like, no English. We're going to keep it Spanish. Right. You'd have people over. You smell like, you know, all the Goya condiments <laughs> <laughs> in one. Um, so it's just very similar in that way that, you know, you you embodied everything. And it was hard at first because you're like, but I want to speak English because now I'm like, it's all English, you know, it got to blend in. And then um, so it was always like that challenge again of just mm -hmm. having to switch back and forth and struggle that's so interesting how congruent things are um mm -hmm. you know just across various cultures but like i have to even you know full disclosure because taya what you mentioned was interesting i forgot to mention this just you know as far as the whole idea of the name because my name kalechi was it, it took me a long time actually it took me until college before i really started to tell people to call me kalechi right because like growing up as a kid people call me kelly Right. All right. So I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you the full circle of how this went down. So they called me Kelly in like in at home and like my, my mom would call me Kelly or whatever. And then like when I would go to school, you know, Kalechi, they would struggle to say that. Right. And I didn't even go by eBay Lamberts. I was going Kalechi Lamberts. And then I got to sixth grade. Right. And Kelly, obviously, shout out to Destiny's Child and other people. Kelly was a girl's name. Right. Like, so I was like, oh, Kelly Rowland. But it was like, Kelly, there's not many dudes. Our Kelly, Kelly was his last name, but it's not his first name. Right. So like, I was like, man, I can't go by Kelly. So when I get to a Catholic school, I'm like, I have to change my name. So I changed my name to Kenny. Right. Like, so anybody who knew me, like from like grade school through like high school called me Kenny. Right. Because I was so like, you can't call me Kelly. You say can't say Kalechi because, you know, you always make fun of my Africanness and you call me Kaleki or Kelikai or Kel to the Shy or whatever. And it was like, <laughs> Kel to the Shy. Yo, that was actually that was actually a cool name, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Kel to the Shy. I can see that. <laughs> but um, that's, not bad, that's, not bad. that's not bad. Actually, in retrospect, that's not a bad name. But when I was a kid, I was like, that's stop doing that, bro. Like, you know, but um, but yeah. Uh, so then. You know, and then I went, when I got to college, it was like, all right, my cousin was with me and he called me Kelly, but he was like, I'm going to make a cool and we call you Kells. <laughs> so then, because he was my roommate. So he's like, yeah, this is Kells. And I was like, all right, I'm going to roll with Kells. So I went with Kells. And then by the time I got to like senior and graduate school, I was like, man, forget that. Like, I've embraced my me. Like, I'm going to call me my name. You feel me? Because it has some meaning. But that like in itself just speaks to like my upbringing and how I was like trying to like morph into multiple people and you know and this is where i ended up now but um i want to kind of shift gears and i want to just simply talk about expectations because i think that's a very 
important part of growing up in an immigrant household. So I'm going to just go through a list of like, not a list, but we'll talk about it one bullet point for bullet point from what I got down here. And so when we talk about expectations, what's, what was the expectation for us in regards to behavior? I want to hear, like, what was the expectation for us in regards to our behavior? You we have talk- time for that? Yeah. <laughs> Give me a snippet because I know we got time for this. Um, I think I can go real quick because I, I think I was a really, and I mean, like, really bad kid, yo. Like, if I had me as a kid, I'm going to be really upset. Um, but it was bad. I got suspended weekly, detentions daily, beat weekly for about seven years straight. Um, <laughs> I got an award out of my elementary school for being the baddest kid to ever enter into the school. Um, my dean cried the day I left eighth grade. He was so happy I was leaving. You know, it was it was a lot. It was a lot. I made my mother cry in the office kind of time. So anyway, all that to say, we thank God for growth and finding Jesus. But all that to say, um, the the expectation was you know to go to class, be don't speak. If you mm. only speak when you're spoken to, treat everybody with respect. But I almost can't answer the question because I never did it. So I can't really say, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's hard for me to answer the question because we literally used, they used to tape on my wrist. I will not talk in class. Oh, my God. And I would wear that every day to school. So, I mean, this added to the ridicule I received. Like, why are you such a bad guy? I'd be like, shut up and be fighting. It's, it was a lot. So to answer that that question is like I was so I'm a second born out of two. I have older brother, he's five years older than me. He was a golden child. He didn't he didn't misbehave, nothing. He's a doctor now. You know, he went the other path, right? He did it. That's for me. <laughs> I'm opposites. I didn't do any of that. So, you know, I'm an engineer, but from place growing up, my behavior was very, very terrible. Mm. So they tried to make me into something that I had a hard time being. I don't know why I acted like that. I really have no idea. But I will say that the expectation was that I change out of that and then become like my older brother. Mm. So to follow the example that had been set, you know, to go towards that route of, oh, you know, your brother did this, why can't you? Or I have another friend who were the same age, but on the same time, his dad and my dad are best friends. That's how it kind of worked out. And he also had a nice upward path, you know, in terms of good behavior, everything. So the expectation was, if all your friends can do this and your brother did it, how come you can't do this? So then it was more like, I do have ADD. Are you, is there a, some kind of disease or a syndrome or something? So I, I went through tests, I went through, my teachers thought I had ADHD and stuff. So they almost diagnosed me, but my mother said, no, you're not diagnosed with my son. Mm. And who knows why it would be if they did, but they mm-hmm, didn't, mm-hmm. you know? And on top of that, I have a speech impediment, so I stutter. So all of these behavioral traits with the expectation of being, of matching up to my sibling as well as other people caused me to be like, oh, you know, maybe I'm not good enough as a child of a Nigerian parent. And I grew up with that constantly. And I just, I'm just now, honestly, as an adult, getting out of that lack of um, meeting expectations. Mm-hmm. So... Never got sent back. I know. <laughs> no. Still here. Still Many here. threats. Many threats, but they never sent me back. Many threats, man. Yo, I ain't gonna lie to y'all though. Real talk, just not to divert too much. We're just staying on that topic of I've heard stories. Okay, I'm gonna tell y'all some stories real quick. As far as just like people who's like friends of friends who like the parents are like, yeah, like we're gonna go to Ghana 
Yes. <laughs> you already know where I'm going with this. You already know where I'm going with this. It's like, yo, like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to Ghana for December, you know, just to go and visit some family, blah, blah, blah. And then you, know, you pack your bag. Oh, just you know, make sure you pack enough for like two weeks. You know, we're going to be there for two weeks. And then they pack their bags. They get on the plane. They get to Ghana. Everything is cool. They sit, they visiting. And one day mom is going to the airport and you're not coming. And it's like, what? I've heard stories. That used to be one of the things. Where it's like, oh, do you know this person's son? It took them to Ghana. Yeah. Didn't come back, go. <laughs> like, he didn't come back. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to behave myself because I like cable. <laughs> I like cable TV. I like Cartoon Network. <laughs> like, I'm good. Like air conditioning. Air conditioning. I love it. I'm, I can't do it. So, yeah, that was, that, that was, that just, that was, that just stood out to me as far as behavior. But anyone else, as far as behavior expectations, please. Well, you know, those kids, I feel like I knew people who got sent back, right? Mm. But the thing is, when they came back to the United States, they would, like, have, like, to skip two grades or something because, mm. like, they are, like, more advanced, <laughs> you know, in schooling than, like, us American kids. So it's like, and they came back all, like, yes, all regal, like, yes, I've lived in the motherland. <laughs> here I am with Americans again. You know, so, like, so it was initially a punishment, but then you could see like the boost in ego and self-esteem that comes from being in a land where everybody looks like you, right? right. And where, you know, you're a Nigel, so it's like, oh, what is better than us, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. and, you, and there's just like oh, all this stuff, oh, y'all are crazy. And I'm not gonna lie, when I went to Nigeria when I was a little kid, I went for the first time when I was like, like well, anyways. Point being, when I went to Nigeria and I came back, I was like, oh, all these Americans, oh, you think that black people are dumb? Oh. You know, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. So I can see why, you know, they came back that way. Cause so I was just like, oh, yeah, the grandmas are so much better than me. Anywho. Um, yeah, so I even forgot what the question was. What was the expectation as far as behavior for you? Oh, so not to hog the conversation, but like, for me, it was not getting pregnant, not being with boys. I oh, lived in a building. I got to jump on that, too. We got to jump on that, too. Go ahead. Oh, Go ahead. Girl. Go ahead. I'm pregnant. Oh, We're dropping my God. out of high school. Ooh, like, I grew up in 707, right? So, like, I was in the heart of gay Chicago, right? Mm, mm. White guys, like, in their little shorts walking around everywhere. Then my building, it was, like, this multicultural building that had a lot of, like, African-Americans and a lot of, like, just lower-income people, right? But, like, by the time they're 15, mm. you know, people started having bigger bellies. So my parents were like, oh, we have you on lockdown. You don't have friends. Uh-huh. Um, you have to come straight home, take care of your brothers and sisters. The only friends that you can have are immigrants. We don't trust these Americans. <laughs> so like they, they were like, you are the firstborn, so you have to send an example for everybody else. And you cannot be like these girls that we see around here. Mm. Yeah, that's real. Oh my god, that's so real. I know about. Yeah. I know about that. Con- I didn't have that conversation, but I've. I know that. Like when it comes to friends and interactions. Ooh, Alejandro, what about you? I mean, it was. It was. In terms of that, I think there was a lot more. My parents were very good in the not setting too many expectations, other than just like going to college. That was like the main thing. Go mm. to college, get a degree. It can be whatever you want. Just get a degree. And I know it's not that case for a lot of other people. But there was still the similarities of just relationships, even if it's friendships. Like oh. when I was growing up, I couldn't go to sleepovers. Oh, you know. I never understood that part. They're like, no, I don't trust her parents. So I don't know. I don't know. And then I'm like, but you know them. And they're like, no. Yes. <laughs> and so that, you know, um, just constant not going to sleepovers or, you know, if I, when I first had a boyfriend, like it, we could never go anywhere else. Like it was in the house, you know, and just that constant. Yeah. Um, that sense of expectations and then um 
I guess as I started to like move on in my life and they realized like I was a fine child, like it wasn't too, <laughs> I wasn't crazy. <laughs> um, I'm still like, uh, I'm, I'm 22, but I feel like I'm 50 inside. I have a heart of a 50 year old. <laughs> um, so I think they started to ease off on that, but there was still those expectations of course, of like not getting pregnant or, you know, and just the pressure I think was more in terms of how I behaved around others and being respectful. And like, if you walk into a place, you always say good morning, like a doctor's office, like right. having to say good morning. And then it's interesting because Americans, they're, they're like, what, why are you saying good morning to the whole office? Like, mm -hmm. that makes no sense. <laughs> um, so it was just in terms of that, I think there was a lot more. So did you ever get in trouble for waking up in the morning and not greeting your parents? Yeah, I mean, not in trouble, but it was just like, did you really just do that like what Ooh. you know there was more of a shock like how did that even cross your mind <laughs> to not do it i mean i don't know but i don't know if y'all got stories but there's no way that i can go <laughs> i can see my mom and just walk past her and not agree like that's happened once in my life and i probably will never forget it like that's just how it was the dra the dramatics that come along with it as far as like the expectations for behavior that was I number did not one. Greet me? Oh, you can't greet. No, let me tell I you how. Guess. Let me tell you how deep it is in Nigeria. All right, let me tell you how deep it is in Nigeria for Nigeria. All right, my wife and I went to Nigeria two years ago in December. We went to the village, and even on our way in the radio, we were listening to the radio, and some guy was talking about like how you know people are actually active and everything and then one caller comes in and he's talking about some kid or whatever he said he's a good kid he greets he greets he greets right and like everybody's <laughs> i was just like yo like greet so i was telling my wife like because our daughter you know like when my daughter comes down and she doesn't say good morning like i'm like red like i'm like what can't greet and like it's not as passed on to me this my traumas but like it's passed on to me because my daughter if she walks in this house you better greet me I don't care about anything else, right? So like, and I'll explain it to her, like this thing is serious. Like this is, this is, this is how we behave. So like greeting was a major thing for me. And then like when it came to boyfriend, girlfriend stuff, I mean, okay. So I proposed to my wife on my graduation day um, for my PhD in front of everybody. I, I proposed, it was grand scheme for those who may remember. Hi. Very like, nice bad right so then like even to that day when i proposed my mom still didn't recognize her as my fiance she still called her my friend like that that just that is just how it was when it came to relationships like it was like any girlfriend there's no girlfriend that's your friend that's your friend until you're married <laughs> and then we never talked about anything beyond that i had a friend like my first girlfriend was considered my friend and that was you couldn't do nothing don't even talk about anything about that. My mom never had talked to me about the birds and the bees. I've said it many times on the show. She gave me the whole temptation. That's literally what happened. Like I came home one day and like one of my nephews found like a condom in my drawer or something um, in my room. Just one of the condoms that someone gave to me. Not, not like I really, you know what I mean? But anyway, I had it. And she, so she's like, mm, Kelly, you know, your, your, your cousin brought, brought, your little brother brought something so I saw the thing in your in your dresser. Mm, Kelly, temptation. Be careful. <laughs> temptation. My G's. 
That was the conversation. That was it. That was it. That was it. I, 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 I honestly wish, to some degree, I mean, I understand it. And we're going to talk about gender roles, but like, and expectations with that. But like, I kind of wish that I was a woman and kind of get that threat because like, they didn't talk to me about nothing. Like, I was like, what? And she's like, you see your cousin, your cousin went to go and get somebody pregnant. Mm. Temptation. Okay. That's all she said. Yo, I, to this day. My like my, my father has never had that conversation with me. No, you, I mean that's a topic wow. you don't really touch. In we never band. talk about it. You never, you even though all the songs are sexual. Which oh I mean, God. come on, but like you don't, t- <laughs> but you don't talk about it. You know, like all these songs are saying it, but you just kind of sit quietly as if it's uh-huh. just like another word. But you don't talk about it. You don't have those conversations. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Yo, and yeah. I and I know, uh, you know, Tina Ray, we, you and I, we talked about this on the last on the last show, but like. You know that how awkward has anyone ever had that awkward experience of watching a scene, a kissing scene with your parents? Huh? You're like, <laughs> it's awkward. You're like, mm. <laughs> you would often get shot off at that point. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I will. So I will say this because I have to give my parents a little bit of of, of uh, credit here. After once I got into high school, my behavior issues they they just magically left. I became a good kid, but <laughs> I um. That's when they became much more liberal. So mm. I'll be out at night. They would just say, where are you going? I would, I would lie, I'm going to band practice at midnight, whatever. It, 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 it used to work. Um, so if I wasn't at band, I was at my friend's place who they knew their parents. So it was, if it was those two places, they never, they never double checked. So it always worked. Mm. So it became much more liberal. And I, and I think it's because they were just, they were just tired. They, for those, Aww. those, those nine years of k I was like, listen, you're, Doing well in school, I, me, I'm tired. So they were just done. But I will say that, that when it comes to relationships, my first girlfriend in college, I mean, in high school, was a white girl. Oh, man. I brought her home. Oh, my. Wow. Oh, Lord. So my mom is very, um, my dad is a nice one. He's like, oh, welcome to our home. What's your name? Okay, my mom. <laughs> Who's this girl? You know, so she was, it, it was, it was a very black and white or no, night and day situation, but they were open to accepting whatever I wanted to do in my case. So that's the, that's the credit I would give them is that as I got older, they became more and more open to honoring and, and respecting my decisions. Ooh, that was a whole, yeah. whole moment in life. That Wait, how are they respecting your decisions if you're not going where you're going? <laughs> My parents are the same way. No, to be very honest, they're like, "Where are you going? You need to be home by seven o'clock." Um, Dad, it's um, I'm looking. It starts at six thirty. It's five o'clock. It starts at six. Well, I don't care. You need to be back in this house and my house by seven o'clock. Seven, bro. I feel you. I've been Uh, craziness. Crazy. This is why I had to go go away, guys. Because like I like went to University of Illinois to banish champagne. And then I was like, let me go study abroad in Spain. <laughs> oh. My parents were freaking out. My rel- it's not just because, you know, it's like about a community. Oh, right? yes, please. All my aunts came like, Chinare, why yeah, are you going no. to Spain? Chinare, what, what do you need to go there to, to learn? And I'm like, you know, 18, 19 year old, I want to go to Spain and learn Spanish. And they're like, but you have all these Mexican friends. Why don't you learn Spanish with them? Why do you have to go all the way to Spain to learn Spanish? I'm like, because I want to become fluent. 
And then like, I like literally like went to Spain and like, this was back in the day when people could actually go to the gate with you. Mm. Remember those days? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like I was walking to the gate and I turned around, my parents were just standing there bawling, my mom and my dad. And I think it was this idea that they thought that they were never going to see me again, mm. that I was going to do what they did, which was migrate to a whole other country, right? Mm. I was like, no, there's back by Thanksgiving. I was like, hey guys, what's up? Or like by Christmas. And they're like, oh, you came back. But I was tired. I was tired about that. I went, and so I like went to school and like I went to Harvard, Boston. I was like, let me go to UCLA. Let me go to Brazil, do research, you know? So I've been avoiding some of the, the trauma of like being the eldest daughter by like living in other places. All right, everyone. So you've just been listening to the first part of the first edition of My Black and Transnationals Growing Up Immigrant Discussions. Um, If you're enjoying what you hear, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We always appreciate your feedback. Follow us on Instagram at Black Transnational Podcast. Follow me, the host, on Instagram at Black Transnational underscore. You can also check out our website at www.blacktransnational.wixsite.com for all the information related to this podcast. Um, If you're looking forward to part two, please know that part two will be coming out immediately. So if you want to hear the second part and the conclusion of this conversation, please make sure to find it wherever you found this particular episode and it's sure to be there and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So go to part two. Until then, as always, my name is Dr. Kalechi Day Lamberts. My Black is Transnational and I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace. Peace.